Just to kind of recap where we've been, Sunday morning we talked about the need for revival. We looked at Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, Sunday night we talked about roadblocks to revival and how uh, we can keep revival from, from happening because of some certain things. We talked about uh, second, in 2 second Kings and 2 Chronicles how Joash hindered revival in, in his nation. Then you remember last night we talked about 1 Kings 18. We talked about God's prescription for revival. Well, tonight I'm going to talk to you about what we see when revival happens. What we see when revival comes, because here's, here, truth be known, there's a lot of people in a lot of churches that calendar revival but don't have revival. There's a lot of churches and a lot of people that go to services and miss the God that they're there to be in service to. And so tonight I want to take you to, an old, to a New Testament story. A story that, here's the great thing about revival. God can use anybody to bring it. You ain't got to be a preacher with a theological education and have a bunch of letters after your name. We're going to talk tonight about a lady that brought revival simply by just meeting Jesus. Go to John chapter 4. What we're going to see if revival truly happens. Because here, make no mistake about it, God wants revival to happen. He wants it to happen. He wants to see it happen. He wants to bring it about. But if we're going to see it really happen, if it's really going to be revival, not some church warm fuzzy Jesus pep rally, not some event where we go to the top of the roller coaster and get all excited and then we, we, we come down to the bottom and we're all washed out. No, I'm talking about true revival. If we're going to see that, then this is what we're going to see. These are the things that we're going to see when revival happens. When revival happens, firstly, we see the way we look at other people change. Look at this. John chapter 4, verse 1. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria, if you've got a pen, highlight that phrase or underline it. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, he said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Listen to this question. How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. If true revival happens, we're going to see the way we look at other people change. We're going to see the way we look at other people change. Here's a problem in the church today. People don't matter to us as much as their position or their skin color or their bank account do. People don't matter as much to us in the church anymore as what they can do for the church does. I mean, it, it, God forbid there's an opening in the nursery because as soon as that person comes in, we're going to slide them in there because we want them to fill a position more than feel important. And here's a story. This lady, she goes to 
the local watering hole. Notice, there's, the Bible doesn't say that there's a group of ladies with her. It's just her. And she goes to the local watering hole. Why? Because we're going to see here in a little bit that she kind of had a reputation. She was kind of known around that little community in a bad way. And chances are that day in and day out, she would go about her daily life and she would hear the snickers of the other people. She would feel the points. She would feel them glare at her. So she goes to this watering hole so she can feel like, you know what, this is the first time in my life where somebody's not going to bother me. Somebody's not going to tell me how bad I am. But man, was she in for a surprise when a man shows up. Now why is that important? Because number one, in, the, in that culture, in that day, a woman's sole responsibility, their sole responsibility in society was have a family and take care of the house. I mean, that's where you rated. You, you didn't have very much standing in the community. You weren't going to have a political office. Um, you weren't very well thought of. Matter of fact, in that, in that day and age, um, it was very common for women's and their opinions not even to be brought up because they didn't matter. So when a man comes and he's talking to her, it's freaking her out. But then the second thing that's freaking her out is this. It's a Jewish man that's talking to her. See, in that culture, Samaritans were viewed below dogs by the Jews. Not worthy of even being associated with. You ever heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? Here's the deal. You know why that robber, the guy that got beat up, you know the point Jesus is making? Is that the Jews valued themselves and puffed their chest out and said, I'm too good to be the hands and feet of God to somebody that needs help. And this Samaritan comes by, and what's he do? He washes wounds. He pays for a, for a hotel stay. He takes care of a person. Here's this lady. She's at her wit's end. She's on probably her last rope. Nobody else has given her a chance, and she meets a man named Jesus that radically changes her life. Here's what I want you to see. If people matter to Jesus, they should matter to us. Amen. I don't care if they're black Pink, green, red, yellow. Red and yellow, black and white, baby. They are precious in His sight. Amen. But we have this philosophy in church today that if they're not raised in a Christian home, if they are not brought up in the ways that we are, if they don't live in the kind of house we live in, they don't, listen, they don't dress the kind of way we dress, that they have no place in our church. First and foremost, the church is not yours or mine, it's His. Amen. And it's not a country club for the rich and famous, it's a hospital for the sick and broken. And when, we, when we're, real revival sets in, then the way we see people changes. We don't see them as numbers to fill a, a, a role that we can send to the Louisiana Baptist Convention claiming on how many people we've added to our congregation. We see them as a person that's of value to God, that needs God, and is, if they're valuable and, and they're of need to God, then they ought to be valuable to us. Not for what they can do for us, but because of what Jesus did for them. And maybe you're here tonight and you say, John, everybody's written me off. Everybody's written, written me off because of my past. Aren't you glad that God does not consult your past to dictate your future? See, here's the thing. God, does, God is not worried about what you've done, who you've done it with, or how bad you think you've done it. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Do y'all know you're part of the world? 
that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So if we really have revival, then the way we see people change is we no longer look down our nose. We sit with arms wide open saying, all who will may come. We don't treat the other people like the other people in the, in the community treated this woman. Wagging their finger, I can't believe what that person's done. Instead, what we say is, I can't, somebody thought enough of me to share Jesus with me, so I need to think enough of them to share Jesus with them. If true revival sets in, the way we see people change is we had a, a lady last night that gave her life to the Lord. And Brother Greg kind of touched on it to, a, a little bit ago. He said, she told Mary Lee last night, she said, this is the first time in my life I've ever felt loved. I've ever felt accepted. Yeah. But how many people walk in and out of doors every week and don't feel that? How many people walk in and out of churches on Sundays and Wednesdays giving up on God because we make them feel like they're not worthy of the blood. Because see, every time we push them away, you know what we do? We say, hey, the cross applied to everybody but you. Jesus died for everybody but you. I'm, I'm better than you. Jesus died for me and not for you. And you know what we've done? We've almost made ourselves Calvinist. Jesus died for me, but he didn't die for you. Jesus loves me, but he don't love you. Because see, whether you want to believe it or not, if you're a Christian, you are the representation of Jesus to this lost and dying world. You are Him with skin on, and how you treat other people, how you view other people, is a direct correlation of how you view God and His love. Let me ask you a question. If a Muslim walked into this church Sunday... How many of you would hightail and run or, or, or squints together so they couldn't sit by you? If a homosexual walked into your church, how many of your eyes would be as big as saucers? We cannot let that kind of people in this church. Or how many of you would step back and start praying, Lord Jesus, get a hold of their heart? Amen. When true revival sets in, the way we see people changes. When true revival sets in, watch this, the way we see Jesus changes. Watch this. Watch this, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Listen to this question. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Let me put this in layman's terms. You're not greater than the religious Jesus we've made up in our minds, are you? You're not greater than... You're, you, are you mean to tell me that you're greater than the, the little Jesus that I used to go to Sunday school and hear all about? See, if we, 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 if we really have revival, the way we see Jesus changes. He's not just somebody that is worshipped on Sunday and Wednesday. He's not just somebody that's able to help us on Sunday. He's somebody, listen, that we don't go to as a last resort to bail us out of a situation. He's the desire of our hearts. When true revival sets in, it's not a... If true revival sets in, then listen... We don't consult the horoscope, our best friend, our BFF, and Oprah Winfrey about a decision. We consult Jesus because he holds it all together. 
If we really had revival the way we see Jesus changes. See, here's what some of you do. Some of you look at Jesus like Lot in Genesis 13 looked at the land with your own eyes. Lot looked at the land of Sodom and Gomorrah with his own eyes. And he said, hey, look, it looks beautiful. It looks good. I'm going to go take it. Here's the problem. He looked with his eyes and not God's, and he ended up living in a city that God destroyed because of its sin. That's how some of you look at Jesus. You don't look at Jesus through the eyes of the Bible and God. You look at him through your eyes. And if he don't do for you what you want him to, then you jump ship to something else. You look at Jesus through your eyes and not the Bible's. And so when a situation happens, you know what happens? Your Jesus becomes real little and your situation becomes real big because you look through your eyes and not the eyes of the Bible. When true revival happens, you see Jesus for the big, indescribable God that He is that is able to do exceedingly, immeasurably, abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. See, this lady, she, she goes on down a little bit further, and she said, hey, we know that Messiah is coming. Jesus said, hey, He's not just coming, He's right here. When true revival happens, you see Jesus for who He is. Not for some made-up, dramatized version of who He is, but for who He is. Listen, here's who Jesus is. He is who we cannot do without. He is who we cannot do without. Some of you are trying to live life without Jesus. That's about as useful as a screen door on a submarine. Some of you trying to do it your own way, thinking, well, I'll just call on Jesus when I need Him. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus every day. I need Jesus every second. Some of you, here's the deal. When true revival happens, when true revival happens, then true worship happens because we see Jesus for who He truly is. No longer do we come to church and sit and soak and sour, yelling our heads off at the Saints game on Sunday when we all just give golf claps to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in His house on Sunday. Instead, what we do is we've prepared our hearts Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we're in bed at a decent hour on Saturday so we can give our best to the King. Because we see Him the way He truly is. That song they sang earlier, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Here's one thing I know. You're going to bow to Jesus now or you're going to bow to Him later. Might as well do it now. I mean, you might as well do it now because later you may be bowing to Him in a place called hell when you're looking up to Him. You got to, when true revival happens, you see Jesus properly. When true revival happens, listen, we see people set free. When true revival happens, we see people set free. Watch this. Look at John chapter 4, verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she said. You've correctly said you don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Now watch what she does real quick. Sir, the woman replied, she can get spiritual. I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Here's what Jesus said. Woman, it ain't about religion. 
You're in bondage to religion. Watch this. Believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Mm. When true revival happens, people get set free. Did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened? This lady was so hungry for an identity, so hungry for meaning, so hungry for purpose in life. Do you hear what happened? That she ran from one bed to another, one relationship to another, thinking, this guy's it. I've got this guy now. That makes me somebody. That makes me special. That makes me valued. That gives me what I'm looking for. But that one guy wasn't it. She hopped to another one. That wasn't it. She hopped to another one. That wasn't it. And then after about five or six attempts of that, she hops to religion. You know what? If I just go to church, if I just get baptized, if I just go to Sunday school, if I just tithe, if I just do this, if I just do that, I'll find the answer. The answer to the question is not religion. The answer to the question of what can set you free is not relationships. The answer to the question of what can set you free is not uh, what everybody else out there says it is. It's found in a Savior who bled and died for you. That's who sets you free. And some of you in this room right now, you're in bondage. Here's what you're in bondage to. Some of you are in bondage to bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. Somebody's done you wrong. And it's got a vice grip on your heart. Jesus came to set you free. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. And when He said it is finished... He means the bondage that you're experiencing can be finished. But listen, Jesus doesn't just kick the door down and set you free. He waits for you to make the plea to Him, Lord, set me free. Some of you tonight, you're not just in bondage to bitterness and unforgiveness, you're in bondage to religion. You think that by you being at, Mount, at, at, Mount, at New Zion Baptist Church, <laughs> right now is going to get you into heaven. Me standing in a garage doesn't make me a car. You being in a church house don't, don't guarantee you heaven. I know some of the most religious people I've ever met that are empty on the inside. You know why? Because religion's not the answer. Some of you here, you're, you know what you're bound to? You're bound to the opinions of everybody else. You consult everyone and everything else about everything you do in life. Can I tell you something? Those people don't determine your eternity. Jesus does. Those people didn't die to set you free. And what happens is, when we put so much of an emphasis on what everybody else thinks, we begin to be bound to them. They have us in bondage to the point where if, if we mess up and we don't do what they want us to do, they keep us more and more in bondage. Doesn't it make sense to come to somebody who's going to free you rather than somebody who's going to keep you into bondage? Some of you, tonight, you're in bondage to emptiness. You say, John, how's that happen? Because you keep going from one thing to another, trying to find that fix that's going to get it. Maybe it's one drug to another. You keep running to all these things, thinking, this is it, I found it. I found it. Man, I just got my lottery ticket. I admit, I got it. Here's the deal. You're going to be bound to your emptiness until you run to Jesus for your, for, for your fulfillment. 
Jesus never, Jesus never intended for you to be empty. He never intended for your heart to be empty. He intended it to be full. I want you to know something. I may not have the best looking ride on the block. I may not have the biggest house on the block. I may not have it all figured out. But one thing I do know, I've got a Savior that lives inside of me that completes me. He gives me my identity. He makes me what I am. It's not the denomination I go to, not the church I go to, not how big my, my budget is at my church. It's all a matter of Him. And some of you tonight are looking for peace and meaning and purpose in life. You think, well, if I just do this, if I just do this, listen, purpose and meaning and passion in your life is not found in what you do. It's found in what He did 2,000 years ago. And He's offering you an opportunity to be set free. But freedom comes at a price. You know what the price for your freedom was? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You've been bought with a price. You know what the price for your freedom is? Jesus stood before God one day. And He didn't just hand over a wad of $100 bills and said, That'll take care of it. He said, Daddy, I'll go bleed. Daddy, I'll give it all. I'll die. They're going to let me down. They're going to do things I don't approve of. But write this. Write this. Paid in full. And some of you in the room right now, that hasn't been written on your heart. You know why? Not because Jesus don't love you, but because you haven't allowed him to set you free. Your ticket's not paid in full. And listen, going to the church of God, going to the Baptist church, going to the Methodist church, being dunked in a baptistry, being, a, being whatever else, doesn't cut it. The woman tried it. She was empty. When real revival happens, we see real salvation some of you in the room right now listen you think you got salvation figured out because when you were six years old you walked an aisle at a vbs and shook a pastor's hand with a group of your friends and you got your name written on a little card and they said new member candidate for baptism all this stuff look at what salvation really is watch this go to verse 28 the woman went back to the guy she was shacking up with is that what it said the woman went to the local First Baptist Church of Jerusalem and got baptized. That's not what it says either, is it? It says she left something. She left her water jar. And she went into town and told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. The Bible says she left her water jar. Listen to me very closely. That was the thing that she had when she first met Jesus. And the Bible doesn't say that she went back to the dude she was with. The Bible doesn't say that she went back to church. Here's what the Bible says she did. She left her old way of life. She left her water jar. 
and she changed direction. And now, instead of going back to the way things used to be, now she's running and telling people about a guy that radically changed her life. See, when real real revival happens, we see real salvation happen. And here's what real salvation is. It's not getting dunked in a baptistry. It's getting your heart turned upside down by Jesus. It's about an encounter with Jesus that affects what you do. Notice, notice it affected what she did. She didn't just believe, well, Jesus, I believe you here. And now I'm going to go back to my guy. She met him right here, and it totally changed what she did before. If you were on trial today for being a Christian, could you be convicted? Could you? I know you could, Nathan. I saw it happen last night, brother. I noticed a change in you today when you got in the car, too. Because here's the deal. If you're not sure you can be convicted, then there may not be any conversion. Because it ain't about it ain't about any of that other stuff. It's about a life change. It's about you leaving your old way and, and going a new way with Jesus. It's about you and him. And this woman, she meets Jesus, and it totally changes her life. And when it happens in here, it affects everything you do out there. No longer do you have the desire to go to the bars. No longer do you have the desire to do ungodly things. Jesus begins to be the desire of your heart. And when you do stumble, when you do fall, He gets in your grill about it, and He does business. See, some of you... Some of you, you know how you might not, you, you know how you can tell if you're a Christian or not when you sin. Does it bother you? Does it bother you? Because if it don't bother you, if there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit in you, man, oh man, could it just, could it, maybe it is that the Holy Spirit don't live inside of you. Because if you've really had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, then, then him and sin cannot dwell in your heart together without somebody moving. Could you be convicted of being a Christian? And before you say, absolutely yes, if I were to ask the people who know you the best, could they say the same thing? You may have your pastor fooled. You may even have your husband or wife fooled. But ultimately and completely, you ain't going to have Jesus fooled. And when you stand before him on judgment day, friend, he's not going to ask you what your baptism date was. He's not going to ask you what your church affiliation is, what your political affiliation is. He's not going to ask how much you gave to a nonprofit organization. He's not going to ask you how many times you went to the Jesse James Festival and paid for some kid's snow cone. You know what he's going to ask you? What have you done with me? What have you done with me? And note, listen. Saying, hey, I was married to a godly wife, ain't going to cut it. I was raised by godly parents, that's great, but that ain't going to get the job done. Because unless your life has been changed, you won't see Jesus. She left her water pot. She surrendered. You know what the the synonym for salvation is? Surrender. 
She left everything she held dear. She left it all to follow this guy. She surrendered. Could it be that some of you are playing a church game because you think you're fully surrendered and you've only half-heartedly surrendered? You could bust the gates of hell wide open because your heart's never been totally surrendered to Jesus. You've never laid it all down. Last night, little Gage gave his heart to the Lord. But you know what happened? As we were hanging out here, Mary Lee began to share her testimony. And Gage's precious mama says, I just need to lay it all down. And Gage's mama, with her husband standing right here praying, became the guest of honor at a party up in heaven because she laid it all down. She laid it all down. And what you hold on to could be the very thing that keeps you from an eternity with Jesus forever and ever. John, I'm afraid of what my, pe- what my friends will think. John, well, if, if I go down front, people are going to think bad things about me because I'm a teacher, I'm a Sunday school director, I'm this or I'm that. Pride can condemn you straight to hell. Jesus said, he, hey, he exalts the humble. When you, realize, when you realize that none of that other junk matters and you humbly fall on your face before God and you surrender, that's when you're exalted. That's when your place in heaven is secure. And that, my friend, brings a life change that gives evidence to the God who lives inside of you. When true revival happens, watch this. We see others come to Jesus. Watch this. I love this part right here. Look at what happens. John chapter 4. Man, I lost my place. She goes, to the, she goes to the people. She goes to the men. Now watch this in verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Then when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Some people got in just because they saw a change in this lady's life. And you know what's going to get that lost family member in? Your changed life. You know what may be the catalyst to see your kid, your grandkid, your uncle, your aunt, your coworker come to Jesus? The power of your life being changed by Jesus. Don't discount what a life change for Jesus can do. But, listen, if you look at verse or two after that, they weren't just satisfied with what the lady said. They made a personal decision. Hey, we, we don't need to hear any more about what you said, for we have seen with our eyes, and we know that He's the Savior of the world. See, you can hear me talk about it. You can hear people amen it. You can read about it in the KJV, the NIV, the NASB, and any other Bible translation you want to read about. But until it becomes personal, salvation is not a group effort. It's a personal decision. And it's a decision of commitment. See, here's here's how some of us are. Some of us view commitment one of two ways. You're either like the chicken or you're like a pig at breakfast time. Chicken gives a little bit. The pig gives it all. Bacon and eggs, baby. I mean, if you're going to have bacon and eggs, it costs a pig everything. But for the chicken, it's not much of an effort. And you can't have salvation, listen, 
till you give it all. Personally. Personal. It's got to be a personal decision. They said, hey, we've seen your life, and some people have given their, their, they've chosen to follow Jesus because of what you've done, but now it's on us. Now we know. Here's what I'm trying to say tonight. Listen, you've heard the message tonight. What you choose to do with it is on you. God is not going to hold Greg Dunn responsible. He's not going to hold the Crusaders responsible. He's not going to hold me responsible. He's, it's on you now. And what if tonight, as you get in your car and you drive home, and you chose to say, well, I'll just wait. Can I tell you something? Choosing to, say, choosing to wait is the same thing as saying no. And you choose to wait. Well, I'll get right on Sunday. They'll have another revival in March. I'll come give my life to the Lord then. I mean, by that time, I'll need something else to do because hunting season will be just about over. I'll get right later. And what if on the way home tonight, you being maybe in great shape, your heart stops beating? And you chose to make a personal decision to, to wait to follow Jesus. That personal decision just landed you separated from Jesus forever and ever. I believe everything that's in that book. And if it's not in there, I don't pay attention to it. But there is one thing that's in there that rattle, that's not in there that rattles me to the core. God never promises tomorrow. He never promises tomorrow. And tonight you can say, well, I don't need all that Jesus stuff because, you know, all those people, they're, they're hypocrites and they're this and they're that and they're this and they're that. And I don't need all that religion, all that Jesus stuff. That's fine. Just know this. When you look and you see some of your family members in heaven and you're in hell, don't say you weren't warned. You, cho you chose that. But the great part about it is this. The same way you can choose not to respond to Jesus, you can, respond, you can choose to respond to Him and be set free, be given life, be given purpose and meaning, and you can have the most amazing life in the world. You don't have to settle for life as you know it. Because you can get right with Jesus tonight and have life that means something, life that's valued. Maybe you're here tonight. I just want you to know this. If you were the only person that ever lived on the earth, Jesus Christ still would have died for you. Amen. So are we experiencing revival? Because if we are, we're going to see these things. Some of you, just a second ago, when I, gave it, when I had the Crusaders play, I invited you to meet Greg and say, hey, I need Jesus. You didn't come. Because all the lights were on, all the eyes were open, and it was uncomfortable. But you know what? You're going to get another chance. Here's my, here's my hope. My hope now is that you don't wait any longer. That you run to the God who can set you free. And you choose to say yes to Jesus. Why? Because he said yes to you 2,000 years ago. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe the way you look at people is keeping God from moving in this church. Maybe you look at people as less than you, beneath you, not worthy of you, or not worthy of the gospel, and so you don't share the message of Jesus because, hey, truth be known, your life says that they're not worth it. They're, they're not worth it. 
maybe you need to come and repent. Maybe the way you see God needs to change. Some of you view God as about, I mean, he's just a little tiny. He's only as big as your circumstances are. And if your circumstances get way out of control, he shrivels and it gets bigger. Listen, if he can create the world in six days and on the seventh day rest, if he can get up from a grave after being mauled to death, there ain't nothing in your life he can't handle. If you'll just let him be God. Stop looking at Jesus through your eyes and start looking at it as his eyes. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, he ain't, Jesus isn't really God. Jesus isn't really God. Do you ever know a, you know a liar that would have had his movement continue for thousands and thousands of years? I mean, if he was a crazy man, why have more people died for his cause than anybody else has ever lived? Why is time in and of itself dictated on him? B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. I mean, he's, he split the time continuum. So if he's not a liar, and he's not just a crazy lunatic, only one other solution. He's Lord. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, if we're having revival, some people will get set free. Tonight, maybe you're in bondage. Maybe you're in bondage. And maybe there's something down deep inside of you that you haven't dealt with that tonight you need to be set free from. Jesus came to set you free. Listen, not just a non-Christian, there's some Christians in here that are in bondage. And tonight, you need to let it down at the cross, at the feet of Jesus, and let Him set you free. Listen, here's why. Because if a Christian finds freedom, then a Christian can be used by God for more great things. Some of you, God can't use because you're in bondage, and you won't cry out to Him for freedom. Tonight, some of you just need to meet Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, where are you tonight? And if this was the last chance to respond to God, if this was the last chance you ever had to get right with God, and in all actuality, it may be, would you make the most of it? Are you 100% sure tonight that if you died, you'd go straight to heaven to be with Jesus forever and ever? If not, praise God, because tonight you can know that. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes, nobody looking around. I'm going to invite... Brother David and the Crusaders to the stage. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you know Jesus, you're not sure that if you went on trial for being a Christian, there'd be enough evidence to convict you. You're not sure. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you're moral. But I know a lot of religious and moral people who are empty. And if you're here tonight and you're not sure, I don't care if you're 12 or 82, Jesus is no respecter of persons. If you're here tonight and you want to know Jesus, the real Jesus, not the made-up, compartmentalized Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus that can still do miracles. I'm talking about the Jesus that can still heal. I'm talking about the Jesus that can still turn the world upside down. If you've never met him and tonight you want to, and you want to lay it all down, you want to give him your life, would you lift up your hands where I can see it? Keep them up. If you raise your hand, keep it up. Nobody looking around, keep it up. Anybody else? Okay. 
For those of you who raise your hands, I'm going to say a prayer. There's no magic words in what I say. It's just the attitude of the heart. And you, if you mean this and you want Jesus to come and live inside of you, then say this prayer after me silently but in your heart and mean it. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I believe that you died to set me free. And tonight, Lord, I come to you asking you to come into my life and take control. To change me. I give you complete and total control of my life. Help me to live for you from this day forward. Forgive me of my sins. Now, if you prayed that prayer here in just a minute, Brother Greg's going to be standing right up here. Maybe you prayed that prayer, but you didn't raise your hand. That's fine. But listen to me very closely. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of you before his Father in heaven. Brother Greg's going to be standing down here in just a minute. As soon as the crusaders start to sing, if you raised your hand and you prayed that pr- or you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then you come down here and you tell Brother Greg, hey, I prayed that prayer. I, I, I met Jesus. And Brother Greg will pray with you and rejoice with you. Maybe you're a Christian that's in the room tonight. And tonight God's dealing with you on some stuff. Maybe you're in bondage. Maybe there's some stuff that's got to change. I don't know of any better place, any better time to get right than right now. I'm going to say a prayer when I say amen. The altar will be open. Brother Jimbo from Goodwill's here. Brother Greg's here. Mary Lee's here. There's people here that can pray with you. But you know what? The most miserable people in the world, are, in my opinion, are Christians that are apart from God. Because he's got so much more for them. Lord Jesus, I love you. And tonight in this invitation time, I pray that you'd speak, you'd move, you'd set free, and you'd restore. May nothing that is said or done tonight get in the way of what you want to do. In this invitation time, Add souls to your kingdom. Restore Christians to right standing with you so we can go change the world. We love you. In your name we pray.